Hello, and welcome to the Craft Brewed Music Podcast, music interviews for serious listeners. You may have heard of our curated music discovery app. The podcast lets us dig deeper and get to know the creators of that music, as well as others that will broaden your horizons. I'm Brian Horner, founder and curator of Craft Brewed Music, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host Aaron Stamen, a Craft Brewed Music artist. Victor Krauss has been a fixture in Nashville since the early 90s. His studio and touring credits include an array of artists from Lyle Lovett to jazz great Bill Frizzell to Robert Plant and Alison Krauss. He's got a handful of solo albums and a number of film scores to his credit, and he's become the go-to bassist for a certain kind of high-end artist that's not defined by genre. Victor, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Victor, in uh, in the uh, mid-90s, jazz guitarist Bill Frizzell took a bit of a pivot in his career and uh, turned his eclectic taste toward uh, bluegrass and country music, traveled down to Nashville uh, to play with musicians he'd never played with before. And you were one of those. Uh, he considered that a risky move uh, in, uh, in hindsight, but it ends up being one of his, uh, his great recordings. And he subsequently wrote of you that uh, 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 Victor turned out to be the magic glue that held everything together, um, which uh, I, I endorse having listened to this album uh, <laughs> recently. Um, and I'm wondering, uh, where where were you at musically and career-wise in 95, 96 when these sessions were happening that put you in a position to uh, take advantage of that, that opportunity when it arose? Well, that that was very interesting. There was... Um... Uh, well, this this ninety five. I, I had just I'd been working with uh, Lyle Lovett. I guess this was maybe my um, I was about a year into working with him, maybe a year and a half. And uh, there were uh, a number of people that thought I might be a good fit to uh, uh, to play with Bill on this record, and and the, which became the Nashville record. And I had I had actually never heard of him before, and and uh, I had. Uh, Talked to a couple of people saying, "Oh yeah, I might do this record with with Bill Frizzell. and and uh, you know, and a lot of people go, "Oh my gosh, you know, that's that's amazing." And and I remember, um, you know, talking to him on the phone. You know, I said, "Oh yes, we're thinking about doing this and getting together with." Um, um, it was uh, Adam Steffi and Ron Block, and later Jerry Douglas, and and uh, I knew all those guys already. And so there, there were a number of people just kind of endorsing me to to possibly be a part of it. And um, I just remember going in the first day in the studio with him, really not hearing much of any. I think I heard some stuff with, that he did with Paul Motion, and you know, and, and which sounded which sounded great, but it wasn't exactly what what he was 
bringing to this session and uh, mm -hmm. um and i just it was over at sound emporium um sound emporium a in nashville and and i just remember just when we first started playing going oh my gosh isn't this this is incredible and and um it just felt like okay you know i'll, I'll just kind of do what i know how to do and and uh hopefully it fit but it was just like oh wow this is like a great chemistry right away and uh um you know a lot of the the parts were were already written out for what me, for me to do but he wanted me to put my own spin on it but it, it just felt like oh this is this is special immediately <laughs> hmm, yeah yeah so did did his you know desire or instruction to put your own spin on it um kind of take the the uh the nervousness or the intimidation out of it or when you were like headed into the studio was there you know some trepidation on your part about doing something that was kind of so different from the usual day-to-day -day? um well i think that's what you know it, it it didn't feel that all you know it didn't feel unfamiliar what he was asking to do you know because you know I, I i played with a you know a, you know grew up playing a lot of jazz okay but um but, you know, I, I think it, it was just, you know, he, I mean, he's a very sweet guy and, um, and, 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 and fortunately, uh, I had kind of, I just kind of come off a, a two, two month tour. So I, you know, I was in really good shape playing, mm. <laughs> you know, mm. uh, so it, uh, you know, I always feel like, you know, I always, I always say you feel like Superman after doing, you know, two months of touring and. So, I mean, just like kind of what, what he was kind of going for, you know, just especially with, you know, having Ron Block and Adam Steffi and, and, and those guys that it, um, you know, I'd already had experience with those guys, uh, you know, for years playing, yeah. um, playing with them, um, you know, prior to that, I'd been playing with, uh, um, uh, I don't know. Yeah, you can call him bluegrass, but you know Peter Rowan, you know Olden in the way, and mm -hmm. and uh, um, you know that which was a mixture of uh, you know very eclectic um, band as well, you know mixing bluegrass and some rock and singer songwriter yeah. stuff. So it was kind of um, you know it was it was it felt like you know okay this is all stuff that I that I've kind of being able to draw from and and just you know I don't know when did someone like Bill. Frizzell, who's so amazing, you can only be elevated, you know, <laughs> yourself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bill, Bill Frizzell, if you'll indulge me, went, went, went on to say of you, <laughs> uh, Victor is classically trained. Uh, he's played lots of bluegrass and he loves ACDC. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which I guess were the attributes he was looking for. <laughs> yeah, I think so, maybe. <laughs> well, it certainly speaks to your musical breadth, you know. <laughs> And the appeal what, that that must have held. Was he, you mentioned that he had some bass parts written. Was he, was he otherwise prescriptive about what he wanted for this album as, as a mission statement? Well, I mean, uh, some of it, I mean, like, um, but I'm trying to remember some of the titles, but you know, like where there's a continuous actual bass line um, where it does sound like it's, um, uh, you know, I mean, some of it really did call for, that composition because he was doing some of that stuff, you know, like if you think of his playing, it's like a piano, uh, yeah. you know, it was, it was right and left hand sides. And so a lot of the time I would become the left hand 
in complement to what he had already written. And th- that was, you know, that was necessary. And, and I always felt like if he, if he had wanted to, to write it out, he, if he went to the effort to write it out, you know, it was worth doing. And, you know, just from a compositional state standpoint, and, and there were other tunes that were just chord changes and the, the you know, we were kind of, you know, free to invent parts, but I, you know, I always, you know, if, if there's something written in the left hand, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's worth doing. very uh you know full uh performing and recording career uh throughout the uh the uh the remainder of the 90s and the early 2000s in 2004 uh you released your first uh solo record far from enough yeah and uh obviously things had been percolating for uh for some time and you'd helped uh many uh many artists realize their creative visions uh-huh. uh, in a supporting role so once you were at the helm, uh, kind of in charge of the creative vision, uh, what was what was your uh, what was the goal that you were trying to achieve with this this first um, solo album? Wow. Well, I mean that that record kind of landed in in my lap in some ways. I, I remember I was doing um, I was doing a tour with um, with Bill and. Um, uh, and Kenny Wallace and, and we, we were doing, uh, I, I, I think I remember we played like in Knoxville or Chattanooga or something. And, and we were driving to somewhere in North Carolina and I had kind of casually mentioned to him that, um, that, you know, that I thought about doing my own record. And, um, and, and, and then I kind of started talking about the concept and everything kind of was in place except for Steve Jordan, uh, who was kind of the last cast member that I thought to, to maybe add to it. But, um, uh, uh, you know, and he thought that was kind of a, he thought that was a, an interesting idea. He says, Oh, that'd be great. And then <laughs> we, we go to New York uh, for a show uh, for a few shows. And he was coincidentally meeting with, um, uh, Bob Hurwitz at Nonesuch, which which was the label that he was on at the time, and he was there for to talk about artwork. Or, and uh, he kind of mentioned he mentioned to Bob that I was interested in doing a record and what it was be all about, and he essentially said, "Oh, well, we should do that." <laughs> and and um, so that's that's how it kind of happened, you know, just from kind of just putting it out there that I was interested in doing it. So. Um, uh, it was nice when things work out that way. Yeah. 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 You know, it was kind of a backwards way to do it. You know, like I didn't have a, <laughs> a, a machine trying to get me to that point. It just kind of worked out that way. Um, but I mean, in answer to your question about, you know, I've, I've always written songs for forever and, and, uh, I, I was able to draw from stuff that I had done for years and years. And then also when, um, 
when I knew who all the players were going to be, I, I kind of wrote music that I thought would be, um, uh, would be suitable to them, which, you know, was kind of writing for that mm-hmm. cast of players. Um, uh, and, uh, do the songs spring from a baseline when you're writing? Is that where your starting point? Um, or It depends. Um, like a, a lot of them, uh, I'd say the maybe just there were just two of them that stemmed from bass. The the rest of them uh, were either done on piano or guitar. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, um, was it here yeah. to be me? Here to me, me was originally a piano part. Oh, right. and uh, blew that. Yeah. <laughs> How about Overcast? Is my guess. Uh, uh, Overcast. Uh, that was bass. You're better at this game. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Do you remember what the the concept was that you uh, that you pitched to uh, to Bill Frisell when you were talking about the the kernel of the idea in Knoxville? Oh gosh, Um, I don't know. I I I don't think I even really said much about it other than who would be on it. You know that I, um, you know that I, and it was kind of like wanting to work with my just a cool pool of, you know, favorites or, you know, that, that I kind of worked with and, and, you know, and it was always thought that it, um, you know, I'd, I'd been worked for years with Jerry Douglas too. And, you know, and all of his music is instrumental for the mm-hmm. most part. And then, mm-hmm. um, and then with Bill and I, you know, even though we had done stuff together on the Nashville record, um, I thought having that voice, um, with with Jerry, you know, and Bill together, you know, just being as, you know, who they are musically, and then coupled that with my sister doing, uh, I, you know, uh, violas and like wordless vocals, like she was the synthesizer, mm-hmm. and um, and then Steve Jordan for the, you know, for the for the kind of the edge factor, um, that I kind of wanted to have, for that. And, um, but I don't, I don't know if I specifically, I think I just more about that. I was, who would be on it as opposed to, uh, you know, saying what it would be musically. I, um, I've, I've always loved film scores and, uh, you know, I've done a few and, and would always like to do more, um, kind of thought that as being, you know, both the records as being kind of like, not as a, um, you know, to satisfy me musically, but also, you know, if there was an agenda uh, attached to it in any way, it would, would be to go, okay, here's the music I love to do. Let's put it to some movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I read where yeah. you called it a soundtrack without a movie, I think, yeah. which yeah. is, uh, it's very cinematic and very evocative, oh, all, all of your solo music. So that, <laughs> that resonates. And 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 yeah, it, 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 the the tunes evolve in a way that's that that's uh, it's kind of a, a a slow burn toward toward drama, like Overcast oh, does that in particular.
know, some, um, some people seem to get, you know, pushed in a certain direction with their, you know, with their music. Um, either they've got to take gigs that are more commercial than they'd like, um, mm-hmm. or on the other hand, their music is so outside that they, you know, they stick with it, but kind of are, are relegated to the fringes. Um, it seems like you've been able to stay very creative, stay a, stay a course that's very creative and also very successful. Uh, how did you kind of navigate that? Was it, was it luck or strategy or? or oh gosh. Uh, <laughs> well, that's, that's very nice. Um, I don't know. It's, it's just like a, it's a, it's a mixture of, of, of both. You know, I think if, um, you know, if you do one too many things of, uh, you know, if you do the same thing over and over and over again, you'll, you'll get the same results. And, um, you know, and, and that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, I was just curious if it was like, if there was, I mean, maybe it was just simply following your nose creatively and, and, uh, ending up in the right places or. You know, yeah. Was... I mean, I mean, it's definitely being in the right places at the right time. Um, you know, certain things I think have, have led me to certain places because I've worked with this person I've worked with, with, uh, another person and they go, oh, okay, yeah, he sounded good with, with this person. Maybe he'll sound good with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and where it all kind of goes, I can kind of sense where some stuff where I get a certain call because, um, they think that I've done this and, and, uh, or they heard me do this and they think I do, I would do more of this, or you can sometimes detect like, <laughs> okay, he called me because he liked the Bill Frizzell stuff, or he liked me because of Jerry or because of Lyle, yeah. um, yeah. or any, anything else. And, um, interesting. And I guess the profile of those projects certainly is helpful in terms of people hearing them and liking them for whatever reasons they might be. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like in, in maintaining friendships and, and, uh, um, you know, some chapters close, some stay open and just hopefully that, you know, you end up doing a good job with someone and then somebody hears about it <laughs> or they hear as a result, you know, and yeah. You know. <laughs> My my sense at like at, you know at thirty thousand feet as a as a listener uh, is that the the kind of the the golden thread that ties it all together with your collaborations and people who are interested in you as a uh, as a bass player, uh, whether it be Lyle Lovett, Lyle Lovett or Bill Frizzell or Jerry Douglas, these are all people that I consider uh, understated players. Yeah, uh, you know Jerry Douglas can get he can get crazy too, but like I think. Yeah. At his best, when he's just playing a single note in the right place, uh, and really being capable of huge dramatic gestures, but choosing the the uh, the, the the quieter, more nuanced path. And I think Lyle Lovett, as a vocalist, uh, is 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 like that as well. Capable of great power, but often choosing the understated route. Yeah, well, I, I that, that that's a very nice observation. I I um I do think you know I mean like if I put a stamp on anything that sounds like me, I think I, I always try to, to be, um, you know, there's so many great players, especially in Nashville. Um, you know, I mean the per capita of great players and, 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 <laughs> right. um, and so many bass players. Somebody said, I remember it was Ron Block who plays with my sister for years. You know, I remember talking to when I first moved to Nashville and, and seeing the, the, the the musicians union used to print a very thick book yeah um you know every every couple of years 
that would show all the players and who belong to the musicians union. And if you open up to the bass player section, <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a good, I wouldn't say 20 pages, but you know, it's enough to go, gosh, look at the competition <laughs> here. And, and I, and I remember talking to him, and I was like, boy, isn't that intimidating? He says, well, I mean, the only thing that you can do is be yourself, you know, don't try to be anyone else other than yourself. And, you know, and, and I think I, I, you know, that there, there's only one you doing this. And, and, and so I, I, I kind of felt like, well, I'm going to be, I'm not going to be too, you know, hard headed, but I'm going to be, um, myself and not necessarily try to take stuff that I'm not good at doing. You know, like if, if somebody tries to, you know, get me to be Edgar Meyer in the studio, I say, you know, I'm going to say, I'm not, I'm not, I can't do that. You know, get somebody who can really do that mm -hmm. or, um, somebody who can play, uh, Donna Lee at 300 and, you know, <laughs> on the bay, yeah. you know, at 300 yeah. BPM, you know, I can't do that, you know? And so I, I, I kind of stick to, to knowing what, you know, to what I'm good at doing versus trying to be something other than that. And then hopefully there are enough people that like that. And, and so I, I think maybe I, 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 I'm more attracted to um, playing something, playing along with something that's uh, appropriate to the song uh, or musical per performance, as opposed to going, well, what can I do for me that's cool, you know, or or showboaty. So yeah. I, I think maybe maybe people have thought that that's a that's a good thing. You know, I may not be as ex as exciting as some other people, but I. Um, you know, I, I feel like the excitement for me is just feeling like I'm being a, a compliment. To yeah. We had uh, Richard Bennett on the show a couple of times, actually. And oh, wow. uh, he talked about the same thing. He said at some point you you need to, I think his term was shake hands with the player that you are, ah. you know, and, yeah. and em embrace that and, and utilize that. And I think, you know, I, I, the first time I, I saw you play, Victor, was uh, uh, with Lyle Lovett. I remember being captivated by the uh, the tone and the body oh, yes. of the mm -hmm. bass, and I think that you know it plays to the the strengths on on your collaborations and on your solo material. That uh, you know if you played that you know at really high tempos and staccato, you'd lose all that beautiful legato body oh, that's nice. at the bottom end there that makes albums like Nashville work. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I like the idea of of um, you know I mean. Um, yeah, I, I guess I am more, more attracted to, to that, uh, uh, you know, or, or just the, uh, the idea of how, how good can I make the, um, the tone of the instrument. There's a great, um, uh, uh, track on, um, <clears throat> Jerry Douglas album, Cave Bop. I think, oh, uh, yeah. I think you're playing on and it's just, yeah. it's a, it's a burner. Uh, and it gets to the bass solo, and you just walk that thing out for a chorus. It sounds so good. Oh, I couldn't good. play anything faster than that. It so <laughs> but, it, but it's so cool because the mix <laughs> because it's, it's just such like a great locked in pocket. It's oh, like, oh man, that was the best solo. <laughs> <laughs> That's right.
burn the body on, you know, something like uh, Bears, which is, I love it, one of my favorite, probably favorite tracks, period, you know, yeah. and just the, the, the big, you know, size of that. In prepping for this interview, I was just, you know, continually amazed at how much of your playing I've <laughs> listened to oh, for my whole life. And, uh, and that, you know, going back to a couple of them and, and you know, with that knowledge and, and trying to, to listen specifically to your part. And it's just, it is that, it's just that big, warm foundation that that you set up for everybody that's just so special oh that's nice that's funny that i I love that that track too um because it's like um that 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 song in particular i think you know because it's there's a there's an incredible sam bush and jerry douglas solo in that Mm -hmm. and it's just like there's no mistake that it's those guys you know it's just like it's almost everybody's personality is just speaking so well on that that particular track and it was like mm. okay if you want a, a quintessential jerry douglas solo or a sam bush solo or a rusk uncle drum part or dean parks you know playing electric guitar on that it's just it's perfect of all those guys <laughs> yeah some folks drive the bears out of the wilderness some to see a bear I'd just bear up to my bewildered best And some folks even see the bear in Parks play on your second album, yeah, on, uh, on uh, Victor Krauss too, uh, which is a, a little more. I mean, it's 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 definitely it's you again. It's got these landscapes that just slowly unfold uh, over over minutes with just little changes in dynamics, little addition of layers. That first tune hop is like one of the, I think, quintessential soundtracky uh, yeah. songs that you had. That just that's it's like a. It's like a, a sunrise. Oh, that's nice. Everything evolves. Mm-hmm. But uh, you are doing more of the instrumentation on this second one. Yes. And I'm really curious about a song like Pinky Ring that's got a little edgier, more out guitar part. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, wh- whether th- was this was that you on guitar or was that uh, that Dean? I'm on. I'm some of it. It's it's primarily Dean. He's mm-hmm. the one that's. Um, I remember he was a, a like a '50s Les Paul custom through a. Um, oh, uh, not a, it, uh, it might have been a Princeton or a deluxe. Yeah, uh, it's, it's deliciously dirty, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, it was just like it was the only thing that, like, wouldn't there was no effects, it was just driving the amp. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm the one, um, and he's he's doing some counterpart stuff, but I'm the one doing there's a wah, uh, wah wah part that happens, yeah, out there with a couple leads, and that's me, yeah. And there's a little, yeah. like, like, there's a little bent harmony with that that overdriven guitar that's really creepy.
some more experimentation sonically in that album too. Um, not a ton of synth stuff, but it sounds like some of that is starting to be introduced, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, some of it. I, so I, I ended up playing um, all the keys on it, and then uh, just I, I was kind of we tracked that that record at um, uh, Sunset Sound Factory in Los Angeles, and um, did it as a trio with with uh, Matt Chamberlain, Dean Parks, and myself, and and then I went home after that, and and did it just a ton of overdubs to it, but just mainly just little nuanced stuff and, and, uh, um, not straying too much on, on the, on the trio, but, uh, just, just adding, you know, thickening some parts up and little, little details here and there. And so in, as we look at the evolution of your solo material, um, then we go to modular, which is kind of a really interesting and really different, um, kind of project. about with working with um dan phelps who's the guitarist on on that project and uh, his uh his family owns the full sale um oh the yeah the audio engineering mm -hmm. program yeah yeah and and there's they i don't know if it's still in existence but they had a an incredible facility out in uh ferndale california um near humboldt university and um, it was organized. We had done a couple things before. Matt and I had worked together, uh, obviously, on my record and, and a couple other projects. And then Dan, um, I had met uh, a couple times when doing some projects out at that Ferndale location. And um, he approached us in terms of just going out there and seeing what we would come up with. And so um, I think it was... It may have been a little over, I don't think it was two weeks, but it was definitely over, over a week. And we just went there and, and, um, just recorded a whole bunch of stuff. And that's what ended up happening. And, and it was kind of the same drill where, uh, mainly Dan and I, um, uh, did additional overdubs at our, at our own studios after the fact. And, um, so I, I, I primarily, I, I don't think I played, 
uh, I played it maybe a little acoustic guitar, but primarily it was just bass and piano. So I made up a narrative about about that recording process. I'm realizing that was inaccurate. <laughs> I had read that you, you know, have a, a an interest in and a collection of vintage synthesizers and vintage, um, you know, electronic gear. Yes. And so I imagined that that's what I was hearing on that album. And so you mentioned you recorded it in California. Um, is all the electronica stuff from California or is that stuff that you added when you came home? Um. Or am I all wet altogether? No, no, no. You're you're <laughs> you're correct. Um, yeah. So it's uh, the 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 synthesizers. Um, that that's a habit that started uh, <laughs> uh, in uh, uh, 2003, uh, and it just kind of went crazy with it. Um, <laughs> there are worse vices. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was effect pedals before, and then and then you know, and then that kind of got a little bit smaller, and then the the, the synths. <laughs> uh, that kind of stuck stuck down in there, um, but yeah, yeah. For the for the most part, there, I mean, the, a lot of that is guitar. You know, Dan uh, is pretty clever with the, um, uh, you know, with effects and looping and and all that. And okay, uh, he's a very clever player. And uh, but um, yeah, primarily like the synth stuff was you know so it it would have been more pads and and uh some kind of some ambient stuff and uh but again details and um but I, i'm probably playing more pianoistic type of stuff on 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 that record than than um than some of the the, the, the freaky stuff <laughs> okay okay yeah yeah we we um never played anything connect i mean that was pretty much the record came out and that was it and um um, but uh, yeah, I don't know if there was any uh, hopes of doing a, a live thing, but it was. Uh, um, but yeah, it was just it was. Uh, I always liked it that it said Volume One in hopes that there would be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there's still you know that's an open book then. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> we should announce. Would you like to take this opportunity to announce Volume Two? Oh gosh, I'd have to. I'd, I'd, <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, I wanted to talk about uh, vignette, oh, great. Uh, which came out in uh, 2007. Now this is this is a departure uh, away from electronica into mm -hmm. something that's uh, very very organic sounding. Mm -hmm. How did this project come about? Well, I met Maeve Gilchrist. That record is a uh, is a duet album, um, uh, or a duo record. It's not really duet because there was a lot of overdubs, but it was just. Uh, Maeve Gilchrist, who's an amazing uh, lever harpist, it's kind of like a, it's the Celtic harp. Looks like a, you know what what you'd see on a Guinness can of Guinness. Hmm. And uh, um, we had met. I I'd gotten had been asked to uh, be a part of the oh gosh the American Roots uh, Weekend at Berkeley School of Music, hmm. and um, I was the resident bassist for that and the uh um uh and kind of an arranger person like uh, talking about uh, uh how to arrange this ensembles and and so I, mm -hmm. I did i did that for two years and um she was just just blew me away and um and and i remember um the second year we did it we, we played these uh 
these faculty concerts and sometimes we do uh, duets within the concert. And I was just thinking, you know, to myself, I got to figure out a way to record with her or, you know, or maybe just send files or whatever. And then um, she beat me to it and, and uh, emailed me. She said, I'd like to do a record with you. <laughs> and um, so um, there was a, there was a record company uh, called Adventure Music uh, Works. It was, um, uh, it was an independent label um, that, that I'm not sure is in existence anymore, but uh, that, that record came out, uh, I, I think in 17. Um, mm -hmm. but, but we again, recorded at the same, um, same studio where I met Bill for the first time, uh, did my first solo album. We did it in the B room there and just she and I, and then kind of did the same thing, just recorded as much as we could in the studio. And then, uh, after the fact, um, I, uh, I'm trying to remember if she added overdubs. It was, we did some overdubs at my studio and then I kind of continued with it um, until we got to the mix stage. So it was, yeah, it's definitely more organic record, but, you know, kind of wanting it to be a focus on really the two instruments, the bass and the um, harp, and then, you know, expanding on it with some electronics. Yeah. the You bring back uh, one of the... Uh pieces from your first uh record from uh far from enough a tune called philo yeah which, yeah. which uh, with the lever harp is, is is a haunting haunting sound oh i loved what she did with it yeah i i think that was i think that was maybe the first thing we recorded hmm. um on on the session there but yeah i i i you know we we did that exact same thing in in some of the shows there and it's just like oh gosh that's incredible what she's doing with it
ask about a, a songwriting credit that you have. Um, this is from Lyle Lovett's uh, 2003 album, um, My Baby Don't Tolerate. Uh, the tune You Were Always There uh, is accredited with you as a, uh, as a co-writer. Yeah. And uh, that, that struck me as interesting. Lyle Lovett has been a, a songwriting hero of mine uh, oh, as long as I've tried to write music. <laughs> and uh, always struck me as a guy who, who probably has a solitary process for his writing. I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, I was very curious about uh, how that uh, tune came about as a, as a collaboration. Well, um, yeah, well, he, uh, we talked about uh, writing some stuff together yeah most of the time it's just him and uh there was one time where he invited me to come down to uh texas and i spent a few days and um played him a whole bunch of ideas and um and i had i had the chords for a long time um and i i just uh i, I remember playing a bit and and they went by a quite a bit faster than where where they ended up and where he's kind of stretched them out to make the the words to, to accommodate the words that he came mm-hmm. up with but uh, but it was mainly just kind of um some guitar stuff um that i showed him and and uh, uh he ended up liking it <laughs> but uh, there was a couple other ideas that we kind of threw around but it was it was that was the one that stuck <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's a tremendous track off that album. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, that was that was an honor to to do that. comes up The world goes around and around There's no bad luck It's just the luck you found You steal away Into that lonesome sound Another day Is lowered in the ground And your latest project that's that uh, we've got, you've got the, the album we were talking about earlier with Jeff Coffin and Jordan mm-hmm. Pearlson coming out here in a couple months. Uh, but the latest thing that is out is uh, a project that you produced for Heather Bond, a singer-songwriter. Yeah. And you wrote much of that with her as well, if I'm not mistaken. Is it? Yeah. And for the exception of one song, we wrote it all, all the whole record together. And, and uh, um, that was a fun process. It, the, that album took a while. Uh, it was uh, it was a, a record that you know, we didn't necessarily think of it as uh, didn't set out to you know to write a record necessarily. We had uh, uh, been uh, encouraged to to meet and try to to write something together. By we shame the same uh, share the same um, publisher, um, mm. and uh, you know with you know with 
a lot of times, you know, you get set up with writers to, to see what you'd come up with. And, and, uh, I, I remember, uh, she was interesting, um, her perspective on just what she was like willing to try musically. Um, like you could, you could play, a uh, you know, chord clusters or, or, or you could voice stuff in a way that was, you know, some people kind of shy away from it. And it was like, she was willing to try anything. And, um, it, um, the, the first song we wrote together, I thought it was just really interesting harmonically. And then we kind of shelved it a while and, and, you know, we, um, and then I met with her again and I, you know, thinking that was fun. And then the second tune ended up being something that was like a very popular, um, radio got really popular radio play on like lightning lightning 100 and mm -hmm. uh our publisher went kind of crazy over it and said oh you ought to do a whole record together and so um we ended up doing that and it was it was really it was a very long process but uh, uh I, I really I, I think it's still i mean like even even as long as it went on uh, I still like the record, which doesn't always happen. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's the sad part. You get to the end of a big project and, uh, you know, sometimes um, you're worn out on it, you know? Yeah. I remember somebody, said, I remember somebody telling me, he says, yeah, when, how do you know when your record is over or is done? It's, it's just when you hate your record. <laughs> so, so sad. <laughs> different things that you've done both in the studio and on the road and across all of these genres um i would imagine that you're you know schedule wise it's very you know it's kind of non-stop and booked out of ways and, and very busy how do you do you have uh techniques for staying creatively open 
Oh, gosh. Well, uh, staying creative open. I don't know. You know, it always goes, it goes in spurts. You know, it's, it's, uh, um, you know, like sometimes it doesn't always, um, it doesn't always happen, you know, like, or there's, there's kind of not a way to, to really, I mean, there's, there's tendencies when you can kind of feel like, okay, now it's starting to click and that you have something that Mm. you feel is going to be good. Um, you know, and just a lot of the time the schedule just dictates it and, and whatever, um, you know, whatever you have the energy for, <laughs> whether or not it's creativity or, uh, or, you know, or, you know, sometimes a, a lot of the time commerce, unfortunately, does dictate whatever, you know, whatever you have going on and hopefully you can find sure. room in there. And then sometimes you can just go in and, and have nothing or in other days it's like, whoa, OK, I just, just stumbled on something I love. Um so I, I don't know. I mean, uh, I think also, you know, the, uh, not that I prescribed this, the, the gear habit that I have, you know, kind of acquiring and getting rid of things, you know, always inspires huh. something too. I don't know if I'm answering, am I answering your question kind of? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that's sort of a twist on what we've heard several people say in these conversations, you, you, the idea that getting a new piece of gear or maybe removing a piece of gear might um, uh, impact the process. Uh, yeah. We've had a lot of people talk about, you know, either putting restrictions on themselves or, um, you know, putting some sort of rule in place, uh, which is not, you're talking about that kind of with gear, but sort of in the same vein. Yeah. I I also created a narrative about you uh, <laughs> after reading after reading that that quote about your love of ACDC. And there's, <laughs> there's, there's people who argue about whether, you know, the Bon Scott period was better or Brian Johnson yeah. and the love of, uh, of Angus and his antics on stage. But as a guy who has spent a career being the backbone uh, of, uh, of, of various groups and always just being the solid thing you can count on my, my narrative is that, is that you're a Malcolm Young guy. Oh, I, I mean, I love all those guys. I mean, just, I think, um, yes. I mean, like, uh, uh, yeah, I think so. But I, I mean, I, uh, I I think what I love particularly about ACDC is just that, you know, that what they create together is so strong. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I'm much more comfortable being in the background than, you know, than being the, the Angus yeah. <laughs> yeah, character. But, uh, yeah. Uh, but it's, de- uh, it's deceptive, though. I find ACDC seemingly is like, easy rock music to play, but nobody really does it and sounds the way they do in terms of the, the feel. Oh, that's, gosh, that's, the, yeah. that's the thing that it, that intrigues me about Malcolm Young is like, well, I'm playing the same chords and the same rhythm, but it doesn't sound like him. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I think when I, you know, it, it's, it, it is true. Like I felt like I learned when I really started getting into them, like I learned so much about like how to approach a downbeat by, you know, how he, how he hits, you know, um, the, you know, just the, the, the nuance and the pickups into, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's like, or, you know, just like the little subtleties that, uh, um, make it work, you know? <laughs> yeah. We're really getting into the meat of the interview here. Cause this podcast <laughs> is all about kind of dissection of, and fans of ACDC. <laughs> yeah. So we're finally kind of arriving at what we wanted yeah, to yeah. talk about. Right. Today. It, was, it was a roundabout way to get there. Right? <laughs> now I've, 
<laughs> I've honed in on the thing that interests me. Yeah. <laughs> About Victor Krauss. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> this, is, this is where I wanted to get to. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much for, uh, you know, for your time and for all the music. It's been really interesting oh, to hear about it. Oh, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thanks. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. Craft Brewed Music, both the podcast and the Music Discovery app, has the mission of promoting this music and these artists. We can't do that without ears on the music. So if you like what you've heard here, we're going to ask you two small favors. First, tell someone about the podcast. Second, go to the App Store or Google Play, download the Craft Brewed Music app, and try a free two-week trial of the curated streaming service. For more information, visit us at craftbrewedmusic.com. Thanks again, and see you next time.